Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino who is back in the super talk mississippi studios i am down at the beautiful mississippi trademark that would be on account of the mississippi farm bureau's 100 year anniversary 100 years of Faith Family and Farm Bureau. And it is a pleasure to be here. Rhino, they got this place uh, all decked out. This trademark is awesome, and and, uh, Farm Bureau is really uh, going to great lengths to make this a a huge, fun celebration. The exhibitors all set up here uh, in the big hall. And the first thing that caught my attention, Rhino, is this giant John Deere piece of equipment. Um, it's got so many attachments on it. I'm not actually sure what it does. I might have to send you a photo. <laughs> and of course, we got Mike McCormick coming on uh, in the program, the president of Farm Bureau. He'll probably be able to fill us in as well. But it is a gorgeous Friday, y'all. <laughs> it sure is. It's beautiful outside. The uh, temperature a little toastier here inside than it was a couple of days ago. This front has moved through, cleared things out. What do we got? Like uh, expecting highs in the low 70s today, I believe. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, just delightful. Uh, pretty much blue skies uh, overhead, a few passing cirrus clouds uh, at high altitude. You sound a lot better today. I'm working on it. I feel about the same as I did yesterday, but I have a little bit more of a voice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, glad to hear that. Glad to know it. Won't uh, trouble you too much. But, uh, of course, uh, always want you to chime in, weigh in. Uh, The audience out there, folks, if you're in the area of the Mississippi Trademark, come on by and see us. We're right here uh, in the corridor when you enter the main doors. Take it right. You can't miss the Element Well Studios set up uh, in the corridor facing Trade Hall B, the doors to Trade Hall B. But they're getting it all set up here and got lots of events and activities scheduled throughout the weekend. We'll get an update on that from Mike McCormick, the president of Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation. Joining us at 1037 today, Congressman Michael Guest. That should be an interesting conversation as the new Congress is uh, just a month or so away from being seated. Everybody will get sworn in. Looking forward to that. We'll get his uh, his take, his his. Uh, 
expectation for the next uh, Congress, the next couple of years. Sally Doty, the director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility, also known as BEAM, B-E-A-M, the acronym. Of course, uh, Sally, former state senator from uh, Lincoln County. And then Vince Mangold, he is in the Mississippi House of Representatives, represents District 53, which includes uh, Franklin, Jefferson, Davis, Lawrence, Lincoln, and Pike Counties. He's the vice chair of the Agriculture Committee. Carrie New, the director of marketing for Wade, Inc. at 11.50. We'll wrap up the day at 12.37 as far as guests are concerned with Andy Berry, the president of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association. So, looking forward to uh, a big day with lots of uh, great interviews and guests and information. A report yesterday, I uh, shared that I was headed after the show to a signing ceremony from one of my old baseball players. Well, not old. Old as in a few years ago and, and in a baseball career four or five years ago. Seems like a long uh, time. But what a lot of fun that was, Rhino, out at Madison Central High School. Uh, he and his family present, his teammates, his coaches. What a, what a great day. It's uh, so exciting um, and uh, to see. Uh, a player advanced to the next level will be uh, interested to tracking him in the next phase of his career. Just a fine young man from a, a great Christian family. And what a what just a great setting the way they, they did that and see his players and coaches there all celebrating. Uh, obviously, they played really good baseball out there at Madison Central. Uh, great squad and lots of other players headed to uh, continue their baseball career at the college level as well. So that was a whole a lot of fun. Uh, lots of news breaking, as there always is these days, overnight. One thing that uh, caught my attention is that the United States Supreme Court has said that it will hear the uh, arguments from the government, from the Biden administration, where they will are pushing to forgive student loans. So at this point, lower federal courts have said, you know, uh, President Biden, you can't just with your signature on an executive order forgive uh, some $400 billion of student loans. Uh, I actually think it's more than that, but that's that's what they're, they're saying, and that's the number they're using in, in the court. But uh, the, the upper court, the highest court in the land, the U.S. Supreme Court, said, you know what, we're, we're going to put, uh, we're going to honor that halt, the, the hold issued on the forgiveness by the lower court, but we are going to allow the government to argue its case uh, in front of the Supreme Court. And that is scheduled uh, to occur in February of next year. So in the meantime, it's blocked. This is crazy to me that we're even having this discussion, that the president is going, think about that, to the Supreme Court to get the court uh, to side with them on their authority with the stroke of a pen to just wipe out $400 billion of debt. That's insane. And, of course, uh, the details of the plan include up to $20,000 in loan relief for low- and middle-income individuals. About 26 million people have already applied because recall that even though the, the lower court, the federal courts, uh, said, no, that's, uh, that's not allowed, that's not lawful for the president just to, to uh, unilaterally, if you will, 
uh, forgive these loans. The, the administration continued to encourage those eligible for forgiveness to go to the website and sign up. And remember, Rhino, when they first published that site? It crashed because it couldn't handle all the traffic of uh, all those uh, folks that wanted to get on there first and apply for that student loan forgiveness. Really is incredible. And and you know, any time we've said so many times, any any uh, situation where you see big government money, you always see big waste, fraud, and abuse. <laughs> now the IRS is reporting having processed a number of and in receipt of a number of returns for the year uh, 2021 uh, and 2020 that some 19,000, this is insane, some 19,000 people in this country that earned more than a million dollars over that period also applied for and received unemployment assistance. That's right. About $250 million of of taxpayer money was sent out the door to folks who make more than a million dollars a year who applied for unemployment. The e, what's called the EUA, remember that the enhanced unemployment assistance from the federal government that's layered on with that which states provide. Unemployment is a, is a state program, and you apply it with the the various uh, agencies as uh, charged with that administering unemployment benefits. And uh, but but during COVID, of course, as part of the CARES Act, and then bumped up again, extended more with the uh, the Biden uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, you, one just simply applies for the benefits, and they receive both the state benefits in Mississippi. It's not a whole lot of money, as I recall, Rhino. Two hundred fifty bucks a week. It seems to come to mind, but additional three or six hundred dollars, depending on which tranche, from the federal government per week. So some nineteen thousand millionaires, including like five hundred, as I recall, that made more than ten million dollars. More than ten million dollars that also received um, unemployment benefits from the federal government. Mike in Gulfport on the C Spire text line says that student loan Biden declaration is and never was anything but the biggest vote buying scheme ever. I, I agree with you, Mike, but it worked. See, that's the problem. We, we certainly uh, are right, I think, in denouncing it and condemning the action, but the fact is it worked. It drew out uh, an outsized number of uh, Generation Z voters which typically don't vote and then aren't included in the polls but the exit polls showed they came out in droves and voted some 65 percent in favor of democrats and they all said student loan and reproductive rights were uh, the reasons that they voted democrats that's what got their attention so you have to say from a political perspective pretty clever on the part of the democrats they're absolutely just uh really winning I think uh, at the at the ballot box with their crazy narratives going on it's time for a break here the element well studios down at the Mississippi trademark for 100 years of faith family and farm bureau coming up next Mike McCormick the president of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation stay with us
The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live at the Mississippi Trademark today for 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. And joining us now, Mr. Mike McCormick, the president of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation. Mike, good to have you. Always good to see you, sir. Glad to be here. So, yes, sir. So I I did a little walk uh, through the big uh, trade halls, and the exhibitors are getting everything all set up. It's got to be exciting. 100 years incredible milestone any anything that uh, endures for that that long a period of time got to be doing something right well and it's got such an important mission as well right so agriculture is mississippi's number one industry and uh when before we got started with this in 1922 uh we were the number one industry in the state but the farmers didn't have a, a voice or a seat at the table so we've been doing that for 100 years and it's it's just getting bigger and better and stronger all the time so, Mike, in, in your uh, tenure in this in this role, and I know you you you've been in the farming industry; it's in your blood all your life. Uh, what sticks out is what has changed, let's say, in the last twenty years or so, or just through your career that comes to mind that says, you know, that really was revelational to the industry. Well, I think the technology that we're having today is just amazing, and it's moving at a at such a rapid pace that uh, uh, you never know what the future is going to uh, unfold. But right now, some of the stuff that we're looking at in the in the trade show out there is just amazing machinery. It's incredible. So I, I talked about it on the show a couple of days ago. I caught an interview on the Business Channel. Uh, and it was at uh, an event for uh, agribusiness. I'm not exactly sure where it was, but they were speaking with the chief information officer of John Deere. And he was laying out the vision for that company, of course, a, a great American company that has served uh, farmers and revolutionized the farming industry, honestly, uh, with their inventions. But hearing his vision to uh, transitioning almost to total autonomous uh, farm implements and farm machinery, and what really caught my attention is when he said, you know, with this we could, we could literally work on the farm or these, these machines could seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Well, I don't know that we have any other choice but to move in that direction because of the labor market. Uh, right. Farmers just can't find people to work on the farm anymore. Uh, so uh, being able to do what you're talking about, and uh, I have farmers that uh, run a lot of uh, equipment and sit in their trucks and, and can watch it in the field. You don't have to <laughs> wonder if it's working, if it's if something's broken down or, or something's not working right. Uh, you can see it right there on your laptop in, from your truck. So do you believe that all of that technology has really enabled farmers to control costs but produce greater yields? So that's the goal. Well, that's it, and that's that's why we uh, lead the world in production agriculture because we can do all these wonderful things. We have all of these uh, uh, great companies here uh, that are innovative and and scientists that are working at our land grants and and giving us this competitive edge. But uh, if you look through that door right there, you're going to see the latest and the greatest. That's John Deere's sea and spray machine, and that's what all the farmers are talking about. Uh, it's uh, got the capability of cutting their their uh, uh, chemical costs back. Uh, uh, applications by 80%. Wow. 
It's an incredibly uh, beautiful piece of machine, the workmanship, and, and you just know lots of engineering, lots of technology behind the scenes. All right, so let's talk about uh, the proceedings for the weekend. I, I just looking through the brochure here. It's absolutely jam-packed with activities, and, and you've got big-time entertainment coming in as well. Tell us what's happening. So this afternoon, we we uh, have joined forces with the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association. They're going to start today and t tonight and, and uh, finish up tomorrow uh, around lunchtime, and then we're going to pick up uh, there about uh, 2 or 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon with our first general session of Farm Bureau activities. But while all of that's going on, we've got this wonderful trade show out here that we want to invite all the farmers in the state you don't have to be a row crop farmer they're going to have john deere uh, hay baling equipment in there and having hay baling in, uh, demonstrations and uh, a lot of other uh wonderful groups in there that's helped sponsor this thing. We want to uh, come out and, and support those that are supporting us in agriculture. While all that's going on, we've got our uh, uh, Farm Bureau Livestock Show going on out in the livestock barns. All the uh, show people, the FFA and 4-H kids will, will be out there. You need to come out and support your county and your uh, your kids that are, that are doing that. Uh, they're the hardest working young people that you'll ever want to meet. Uh, then we uh, will uh, move into uh, a concert that we're sponsoring tomorrow night, uh, the Trace Atkins uh, lineup, and uh, it's going to be wonderful. That's a ticketed event. There's a few tickets left, I think. You can go online and get those. On Sunday, uh, we will be uh, back over here at the Trademark. Uh, most all of this is going to happen here. And uh, at 2 o'clock on Sunday is our, our big general session. All the statewide officials are going to be here speaking and uh, federal officials as well. And then uh, Mike Huckabee is going to be our keynote speaker. I think everybody will want to come yeah. hear him. So y'all come on down and, and uh, come through the trade show, go visit the livestock barns, and uh, come, come hang out with us. That's awesome. Uh, Mike, how would you assess the, the health of the agriculture industry in the state of Mississippi and in the nation in general at this time? Well, I think uh, it's it's in a, a state of change. Um, inflation is uh, hitting our farmers like uh, uh, harder than ever before. The input costs are up just for this one year, 25%, 50% on uh, diesel and chemicals and fertilizer, even more than that in, in some instances. So uh, we are, are receiving a little more for our uh, commodities, uh, but not enough to offset all the, the inflation on everything that we're using. So, uh, But overall, I think the future is bright. We've got uh, how to feed this, this planet, and we, we can do that here in the United States. We can do it here in Mississippi better than anywhere else on the planet. It's incredible. And, and farmers, Mike, it, it always seems to me like, though they somewhat compete, they're competitors, there's also a brotherhood of bond amongst farmers as well, is there not? It is, and that's, that's the wonderful thing about Farm Bureau. When we started this 100 years ago, what we found and what we call the Farm Bureau family are all of our members, all of our boards across the state that, uh, that meet. Uh, we, uh, we we just become family, and it's, it's a place where uh, a poultry producer, a contract chicken grower can become best friends with a row crop farmer uh, from up in the Delta, and we just have a brotherhood that's probably unlike any other industry. Yeah, it's incredible. So uh, I, what about the government and, and the government uh, always issuing regulations, it seems, and to some extent now the, the farming community uh, because of so-called climate change is is now in the target of government you're having to deal with this constantly yes and unfortunately it's not just the government it's it's corporate america yeah. that's passing along all this environmental yeah. 
rules and regulations for us that just doesn't make sense. Farmers are, are made to be the original conservationists. We're, we're inside of us. We want to protect our land. We want to turn it over to the next generation better than what we found it. And uh, the innovations like we're seeing, like I talked about the John Deere seeing spray machine that's going to cut back chemical applications by 80% possibly. You know, those are the things that, that we're driving towards, but we just don't get there fast enough. And, and these, these people that live and, and their whole lives on concrete streets and in high-rise buildings think that I'm out here poisoning the world when they have no idea what we're you're doing. You're feeding them is what you're doing. No, that's exactly right. They've never been hungry. And clothing them as well. So, and, and I know lots of other uses for uh, agricultural applications. And I know your organization is that voice. You're in constant contact with our, our state leaders, our Washington delegation as well. Yes, constant, and uh, they, they reach out to us and on just about every itch, issue that impacts rural Mississippi and, and uh, farmers to see, hey, what does Farm Bureau say about uh, this particular issue? So it's easier for them. Farm Bureau is the, the best at grassroots. That's what we do the best. I have a county board in every county in the state and through every community's leadership there. So we, we want to know what, what the answer is to the uh, questions that are being asked. Uh, we can get that very rapidly through through our network so uh, they are in, in contact with us and the good thing is is uh, they're so very supportive our congressional delegation our state leadership uh, I couldn't be prouder to be able to be uh, teammates with those guys yeah and our we should point out our ag commissioner uh, Andy Gibson is a, a, is a huge job. advocate and ambassador for uh, the industry as well he uh, a great friend I, I, uh, I would I would guess Andy and I average talking twice a day on the telephone Wow. Uh, uh, just um, uh, in the off times of the year. So when the legislative session's going on, maybe a little more. But uh, we've got a lot of good friends uh, in the House and the Senate here in the state. Uh, the, the governor and the lieutenant governor and speaker have all been uh, advocates for ag agriculture as, as well as our senators and representatives in Washington. I mean, it's it's a critical part of our economy, still the biggest industry in our state, and we got to foster it and take care of it make sure they got all they need to, for us to get out of the way and let them do what they do. We're going to continue to do that for the next hundred years, and we're going to chart that course here this weekend. That sounds great. Mike, good to see you, sir. Appreciate you coming on. Congratulations as well. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You got it. Mike McCormick, the president of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation, has been our guest on Middays. We'll take a break right here from the LMOL studios, coming back with Congressman Michael Guest. Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Oh, what a night. back everyone midday super talk mississippi at the mississippi trademark 
for 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. Joining us now, Congressman Michael Guest. He represents, of course, Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. Congressman, morning, sir. Good morning, Gerard. How are you today? Doing fantastic. This Mississippi Trademark, uh, I'm so glad that we uh, took this project on, and, and uh, kudos to all of those involved. Of course, Ag Commissioner Andy Gibson was uh, integral in this effort. This is a fantastic facility, isn't it? It really is. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is night and day uh, from what the old trademark to what Andy's been able to build there, and, and that is going to continue to build momentum there on the fairgrounds, going to continue to help as we seek to revitalize uh, downtown Jackson. So you've got things such as the trademark and the Capitol Police and yeah. uh, everything that, that we're seeing down there. Uh, it's just really going to be a boom for our capital city. It's awesome. It's uh, it's fun to come down here. You know, kind of dreaded it going to the old facility. It just aged, and we we needed a new one, and and we have it. And there's plenty of parking, and and uh, uh, the roads are 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 recently paved. So, uh, nice venue for an event like that for sure. So, just checking on the uh, results in the House of Representatives. Uh, all the reports I'm uh, looking at still show we're at 220 to 213, so we still have two seats outstanding, but I believe those are expected to go Republicans, which would put us at 222, 213, nine-seat margin. Is that what you're seeing as well, what you're hearing? Yeah, the last two uncalled seats are trending uh, in Republicans' favor. Um, while they've not been called yet, um, we, we do believe that both those seats will ultimately be uh, in Republican control. So we'll have uh, 222 seats, so uh, 218 to have the majority. So that gives us really a, a five-seat um, cushion there. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that uh, uh, as we began the last two weeks, we've been uh, – going through uh, amendments to our caucus rule packages. Uh, we finished uh, those up this week. Uh, we've elected steering committee uh, members from each of uh, the regions uh, throughout the country. The steering committee will be begin meeting next week to populate committee chairman. Uh, and then uh, on January 3rd, uh, of course, we will have uh, the vote on the House floor to elect the next speaker uh, of the United States House of Representatives. Is it your opinion, uh, Congressman, that Kevin McCarthy is in good shape there? Are there a lot of reports that suggest he may not have the necessary votes? What do you think? You know, I, I think he's, he is very close to having the votes that he needs. I think if the election were today, uh, there may be uh, a few members uh, that would still uh, not support McCarthy, but he is working uh, very hard to, to, to build that coalition to 218. Uh, he's reaching out to, to the entire conference, uh, whether it be the, the Freedom Caucus uh, or uh, some of the more moderate groups. Uh, he is wanting to include uh, all members of the Republican Caucus uh, in uh, what we intend to do uh, when we take control in January. Uh, I hope that this is a one-vote uh, speaker's election. Uh, you know, it is possible that if no member gets 218, that there would be subsequent votes. And we know that Congress cannot uh, conduct any official business until first we elect a speaker and adopt the rules package. Yeah. Uh, and so the quicker we can do that, the quicker we can get to legislating, the quicker we can get to uh, beginning to conduct these investigations and, and fulfill the promises that we've made to the American people. Yeah. 
So, you know, one of the things that came to mind, Congressman, is I remember, um, I don't remember which class it was, maybe it was the last class, but when Nancy Pelosi uh, and the Democrats were working on the rules, do you remember that one of those was the way you had to refer to the spouses of members you couldn't re- and their family members? You couldn't use the words brother and father and sister and wife and husband. Do you remember that? Is, am I right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, they had a house <laughs> rule that, that everything had to be gender neutral, so you no longer had chairman oh, or chairwoman. It was chairperson. Uh, when you were con- uh, introducing legislation, you couldn't refer to brothers and sisters. You had <laughs> refer to siblings. You couldn't refer to mom and dad. They had to be referred to as parents. Uh, clearly, wokeness run amok. Uh, I can promise you uh, that those will no longer be included in the Republican rule package that we will vote on on January the 3rd. Is it true as well that uh, what I've seen that we're going to start every day in the House of Representatives there with a prayer and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance? So how novel. Yes, uh, we, we will do that, and uh, Speaker, uh, hopefully uh, soon-to-be uh, Speaker McCarthy has said that you know we will also start on January 3rd uh, by uh, reading the Constitution to making sure that uh, all members uh, have had an opportunity uh, to review the document uh, that, that we uh, pledge an oath to follow. And so I think those yeah. are all good things. Now, you know, I, I will say that we, we have historically opened up uh, with, with prayer uh, and the pledge, but it will be, okay. it will be in the rules package, and so that will now be uh, required every day. It won't be optional. It'll be something that Congress will have to do every day uh, as we start uh, <laughs> legislative business on behalf of the American public. All right, so what what do you see unfolding? Let's say you guys are, are, uh, are sworn in, you take your oath, you're seated, you've got the rules package in place, you, you elect a speaker. From a legislative perspective, where do we go from there? You know, uh, first thing uh, that we'll we'll do is we're going to vote to uh, repeal the 87,000 IRS agents uh, that uh, the Democrats have uh, legislative uh, legislated when they passed when they passed the uh, uh, poorly named Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, that was one of the ways they were able to get that bill uh, passed is by uh, offsetting the cost of that bill by um, beefing up the IRS agents substantially, which are going to uh, really uh, it, you know the 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 argument the Democrats were made is these people are only going uh, these new IRS agents are only going to be auditing people that make more than four hundred thousand dollars or more and and that's just a complete fallacy uh, they're going to be uh, seeking to audit all hardworking Americans and that's the last thing we need is an an army of IRS agents this legislation would make uh, the legislation the Democrats passed with the addition of those eighty seven thousand IRS agents they would be the largest law enforcement agency in the entire country. <laughs> bigger than uh, Customs Border Patrol, bigger than the FBI, bigger than uh, ATF. Uh, and so when our largest law enforcement uh, agency is not seeking to protect Americans but seeking to um, audit Americans, uh, I-, I just think that that is wrong. And so that will be the first piece of legislation uh, that we take up as a Congress. And then we'll be begin addressing things uh, as such as opening up our uh, uh, offshore to, uh, some of the offshore drilling, some of the, the, the natural lands, uh, our natural parks, natural forests, to uh, oil exploration, to try to make sure that we once again become energy independent, uh, and then try to bring down some of the unnecessary spending that has driven up inflation. 
Yeah. The White House, about the oil uh, drilling, the, the White House continues to point fingers at the industry saying, you guys have all these permits, you're just not out there drilling, but uh, that doesn't really seem to be the case. You could have a lease, you could even have a permit, but you also have to have right away access to, to get to where you're drilling, and sometimes you drill, and you drill a dry hole, and so that permit was of, of no value, and you still have a White House that keeps saying, we're going to put the fossil fuels uh, business uh, out of business. It's just a, it just seems to be that they're hiding behind that. Uh, you're right. There, you know, there's a fallacy in their argument that, that just because uh, they have a lease that, that they should then drill uh, everywhere uh, where they have a property leased from the federal government. And, and we know that you know the oil companies uh, do a great deal of testing, exploration to make sure that if they are going to drill a well, that, that they have uh, a likelihood that, that they're going to find all sure. the natural gas there. And so as they're doing some of their uh, seismic testing to determine whether or not uh, there's a probability of that, in many cases, uh, a decision is made that we are we are unlikely to find oil or natural gas if we drill in a certain location. Uh, and so, what the Biden administration is seeking to argue is that in every lease uh, in which uh, our oil companies or our energy companies have, that they should drill uh, each and every one of those sites, and that's not economically feasible. And you right. also mentioned the fact that this White House wants to put uh, traditional fossil fuels uh, out of business. And, and so uh, that makes it uh, even more important f for these energy companies to make sure that there is a likelihood of a, a return on their uh, investment very quickly uh, because we know that this administration and the progressives within the Democrat Party uh, are seeking every day to do away with uh, fossil fuels that we have relied upon uh, really over the last several hundred years. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know what I hope, Congressman, is that you guys can get some legislation, send it over to the Senate, get the Democrats on the record uh, on that legislation, because that's probably the biggest contributor to inflation that's just uh, uh, ransacking the wallets of Americans. we got about 30 seconds left. Yes, sir. Uh, and you're right. You know, uh, energy cost and out-of-control government spending, which is the other thing that uh, we as the Republican Party hope to be able to rein in next Congress, uh, is to do something about the $31 trillion debt that, that we're facing. Yeah. Uh, we continue to add to that debt every day, and ultimately uh, our children and grandchildren will have to pay that debt uh, at some point in their lifetime. It's so irresponsible. It's crazy. Congressman, always good to talk to you, sir. Appreciate you calling in uh, today, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. Give my regards to the family. Yes, sir. Thank you. See you soon, Gerard. Yeah, man. Congressman Michael Guest has been our guest here on the Middays. We'll step aside for a break. We've got another segment in this hour, and then Super Talk News, Fox News, followed by Sally Doty, the Directory of the uh, Director, excuse me, of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility. Coming right back. Properly set all controls before recording. Systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, the Element Well Studios. Repositioned today to the beautiful Mississippi trademark for 100 years of faith, family, and farm bureau. On the ceasefire text line, dumb question, forgive me. Nah, no such thing as dumb questions, not a problem. Uh, not enough coffee this morning in parentheses. Can the Republican House pass a new bill killing the 87,000 IRS agent expansion that has already passed into law without similar passage of the new legislation from the Democrat-controlled Senate? No. The answer is no. So, I, again, I, I think we have to be honest here and keep things in perspective with the understanding of the underlying framework of how laws are made. Uh, in this country, and and that is obviously they have to pass through both chamber a bill. How I feel like it's the old uh, how a bill becomes a law uh, cartoon. Sometimes that we have to be, keep in mind, and and um, and I know most people understand that, of course, but it's got to pass through both chambers, the House and the Senate, and then it's got to be signed by the president to enact it into law, of course. And so the 87,000 IRS agent, the provision that uh, enacted that uh, provision, I should say, was included in this uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And, and the reason, or besides the fact that the Democrats just want to go harass people to pay more taxes, uh, the reason is that, honestly, the underlying reason is because it makes the math work and here's what I mean by that so when in order to pass these these bills these spending type bills using the reconciliation process in the Senate which only requires a simple majority for passage in the upper chamber those bills uh, are scored by the CBO they're, they're bills that include spending and revenue and they're scored by the CBO over a 10 the congressional budget office by over a 10-year basis and so they look at revenues they look at expenses and they have to meet certain thresholds to qualify for passage with a simple majority and so what they did is they said okay we're gonna go hire 87,000 IRS agents that's gonna cost X amount of dollars but we predict that having those 87,000 IRS agents reviewing and auditing all these tax returns is gonna produce X amount of new revenue because they're gonna find people that have underpaid their taxes and are essentially cheating on their taxes and they're gonna shake them down and you're gonna have to pay more that's gonna raise this block of revenue I don't remember the exact projection of that but so that gets that gets included on the revenue side of the equation if you will and then on the spending side remember the main spending was was uh, um, capping the price of insulin is one of the things that was like a spending adjustment just basically price controls uh, Medicare negotiating which really wasn't negotiating it was just dictating to pharmaceutical companies what they're gonna sell drugs for but the other big piece of that was extending the Obamacare subsidies that we've talked about here on the program that's a bunch of money and then all the crazy Green New Deal credits remember that uh, what was it Rhino 30 percent or something for a, uh, a hot uh, not pardon me a water heater 
uh, and then seven thousand dollars, seventy five hundred dollars towards an electric vehicle, and there's there's different amounts of money for electrical panels and and insulation and electric appliances and all these credits. Well, that's spending, and so how are we going to pay for that spending so that the CBO scores it so that it could pass on a simple majority? Well, we're going to have all this revenue over here, and 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 uh, the revenue components included eighty seven thousand IRS agents chasing Americans to go pay more taxes, which is a huge. Just a huge if. That, that's uh, uh, not um, etched in stone. That's just a, a speculation on their part that, yeah, hiring all these people, they're going to shake down American taxpayers. They're going to send in more money, and that will cover the cost of all these welfare programs. Essentially, is what it is, welfare. When you're giving people money to buy a water heater, I consider that to be welfare. Or solar panels, 30% of the cost of solar panels. Uh, as well. Re remember that was one of the provisions of the, the so-called climate initiative credits. So that that's what it's all about. It's all about making the math work. It's 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 almost a bit of sorcery to be honest with you because they just they tune and tweak this math and throw all these projections on it just so they can pass it with a simple majority. And they also put uh, terms on it like the Obamacare credits the extended, the enhanced Obamacare credits are only good for three years. And that's how they keep the cost down because it's scored over 10 years to make it fit within the thresholds to pass it on a simple majority. And it's just, it, it's, um, it's trickery because no, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to end that in three years. That's the problem we have with the student loan stuff. We pause student loans now for, what, almost three years, Rhino? And nobody's going to show up and say, oh, yeah, start paying them again. And that, that's, that's the concern. Uh, that I have with it, with the way all that sausage is made in Washington that deals with finance for sure. But hope that answered your question. So no, Republicans in the House alone cannot just uh, make the 87,000 IRS agents go away, but they can put a bill to get everybody on the record. We're taking a break right here. Super Talk News, Fox News, coming back with Sally Doty, the director of BEAM. Stay with us. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau. Uh, joining us now in the Element Wealth Studios at the Mississippi Trademark is Sally Doty, the director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility a.k.a. Beam. That is a mouthful. It, it is, but Beam is very easy. <laughs> it so is. We, we went for the acronym. I got that. it. Yes. Well, uh, of course, having been in the IT industry my whole life, it's just nothing but alphabet soup uh, acronyms. I can do a whole uh, sentence now with only acronyms. <laughs> it's the craziest. Well, that's awesome. All right, so uh, a little bit about the history of how this organization uh, that you direct, how did it come about? So BEAM was created during the last legislative session. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of federal funding that's going to be coming down over the next uh, few years, probably, you know, three to five years, and we need a single source of contact in Mississippi to handle all that money that's coming down and to, to make some decisions and policy decisions about where we want to direct that funding. So uh, the bill was passed.
passed and uh, signed into law by the governor, Tate Reeves, on uh, in April, and we began work July 1. Now, also what's important, I, I believe, is to know that we've had some history. It's not that Mississippi didn't have a broadband office at all, but uh, I was over at the public utility staff, right, and, right. and we did work on broadband expansion at that that office. And it's, I think it's safe to say, is it not, uh, Sally, that maybe the catalyst for this was the legislation signed into law, what, three sessions ago that uh, allowed the electric cooperatives to provide internet services? So the federal government had um, a big another tranche of money that was coming down to states through the Rural Development Opportunity USDA, Fund. was it the not? RDOF, yeah, yeah, RDOF funding. And and so the co-ops wanted to be able to participate in that. We, we knew that was coming. We didn't want Mississippi to miss out on it. And so, yes, there was legislation to allow the co-ops to get into the business because mm -hmm. they, they did not have that authority at the time. And right. I was actually chair of the Energy Committee in the Senate at that time and handled that bill and the committee and on the floor. And uh, it was a, a great piece of legislation I think but I will tell you a lot of the co-ops you know they they we had that legislation several were going to get into the business some were a bit on the fence and really in 2020 when Mississippi received you know big cares act funding mm -hmm. uh that we had to appropriate. Mm -hmm. Well, the the legislature made that determination to put 75 million in broadband expansion, okay. and we were really one of the first states to do that. It didn't ex the you know the rules were kind of fuzzy. I think that was kind of all on the even Just the whether or not it qualified, right? yeah, whether or yeah. not it qualified at all. Mm -hmm. And but we said, hey, that's what we need to use it for. And uh, we kind of stepped out there after we did. Some other states did as well. It had some some pretty debt tight deadlines to, to get your uh, infrastructure out, uh, and we, we did it. So that $75 million from CARES Act, I mean, it's it's up. It's all on the power pole or it's uh, in the ground. Uh, it is it's completed. Yeah. And really it was a, a $150 million. We leveraged it up with matching. So it was really a $150 investment in the state. Yeah, so matching state funds that went along no, with the federal no, funds? The, or? No, the... the Provider okay, had to okay. match. That. They had to match it to, to yeah. receive the grant. Match it yeah. to receive the grant. I understand. Yeah, and and Mississippi is uh, not one where most of the population is concentrated in, mm -hmm. in urban population centers, right? We're, we're, we're very scattered out, sparsely populated, yeah. right? And yeah. so, uh, it, which just essentially uh, kind of intensifies the challenge. It I think does. is a way to say it. it. It makes it quite a challenge. I always say that uh, Mississippi is kind of like a we've got a big jigsaw puzzle and we're putting all the pieces yeah. together, and and part of that is the reason I wanted to visit with you today is because we want uh, Mississippians to help us put together a broadband map for Mississippi. Um, and we have a new website that is out. Okay. It is broadbandms.com broadbandms.com you can go to that and it will run three speed tests automatically and then it asks goes through a series of you know five or ten questions while that speed test is running and so we're trying to gather a little bit of information so we can have a true picture of internet service in Mississippi yeah if you do not have any service we have a telephone number that you can call and uh, I'm sure that your folks will tweet that out for me but the number is six 
888-242-2535. And you don't get a real person on that. It's it's a voice. But we would love for you to, to leave your address. And we don't need your name. We just need your address um, and need you to say, you know, I do not have service or I have unusable service or only satellite service or, yeah. or whatever. So I'm on the site right now, and the first thing you see on the splash page, splash page is a button to conduct a test, a right. speed test. Right. Uh, there are lots of tools out there mm -hmm. uh, that uh, provide that. And, and so is this being used as input into yes. you guys' planning yes. as well? All, all of this information is coming okay. to our we, – we've been through the RFP process. We have a contractor that's helping us with our mapping. Sure. And so all of that is driven to create our Mississippi map. Um, there is an FCC map, a new FCC map that came out on November 18th, and, and you can go to it as well if you would like and look at your location. You can put your uh, address in. Uh, it shows that all of Mississippi is 100 percent covered. <laughs> the FCC shows that? The FCC map does because it used, uh, they included Starlink. Ah. Uh, which well, technically, really. it is covered. But, but Starlink is not available. Uh, you know, we, we all did it in my office. Okay. We all looked at it. And one of the guys in my office, he said, well, I've tried to get Starlink, okay. and, and it's unavailable for my location. So so he filed a challenge. You, you can file an individual challenge on the FCC map if you would like. Uh, we think that process might be kind of bulky <laughs> and maybe not. <laughs> You know, no. thousands, government bureaucracy at the federal level. So, so you know, you might want to go look at the federal map if you want to. But it, yeah. it, it, we knew it was not going to quite be a true picture. So we're creating our own Mississippi map okay. because uh, we're going to challenge that federal map. Um, and our first deadline for challenge is, is January 13th. So we're trying to we're going to use other data in addition to this website that data that we're collecting. We've got a lot of other data we're looking at and working with providers and. E911 data and different things, so we're putting it all together. So other this than is important. other than they're just they're they're publishing false information. <laughs> uh, are, is there something else that's important about yes. that funding? Yes, the funding is what's really important okay. about that because uh, Mississippi's going to participate in a program which is called BEAD. All states are getting money from BEAD, which was uh, a grant program under the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Mm -hmm. It's $42.5 billion, I believe, that is going to be allocated among the states. And it's going to be allocated according to your unserved and underserved locations. Okay. So that's why it's so important for us to know what those locations are. So yeah. this this data that we're collecting on our Mississippi map, uh, just from individuals around the state, is is very important to us. It's not the only thing we will use, but it's it's very important. So we really encourage everyone to go take that test. Um, and if you would, if you would take it, um, maybe once a day for a week or so or you know take it five to seven times if you could take it at different times of the day so we get kind of a true picture of the service you're getting because what you get in the morning might be different than when everybody's home at night watching right. a movie playing games whatever so if you could take it at some different times and if you just don't have service at all call that phone number yeah. and just let us know broadband.ms 601-439-2535 is the yes, number so that is the number yeah. you can text that number too. You can text, okay. text internet to it or text okay. help or whatever. You can text it as well and it'll say, oh, what, you know, it'll, it'll give you some prompts to give the information. All right, so since you've been in this role, give us an update. How's that been going? How are we doing as far as building out? Um, 
we are currently administering one $32 million uh, grant fund from the feds. Uh, we are about to begin construction on it. And when I say we, it's not me, it's not our office. Sure. It is providers yeah. throughout the state. And I think they're, with that program, there are about eight different providers that are participating in that. And, and you know, that is just with federal funding. Our providers across the state are building out with private dollars all day, every day. Right. Uh, but this is an... A, uh, you know, a, an interesting time when we have an influx of federal dollars, kind of a one-time influx of federal dollars, you know, kind of like they did with electricity back in the yeah. 20s and the 30s. So this is our, our build-out for broadband infrastructure, and it is focused on, on fiber. And this is available uh, to other traditional carriers as well, right, not just the electric co-ops? Oh, yes, all carriers. And, and we talk to all of them on a regular basis and expect all of them to participate yeah. in this upcoming funding. So. It's moving a little bit slower than I had hoped it would, and as uh, you know, it's any time you're working with federal dollars, there are a lot of hoops you got to jump through. Sure. And so we are awaiting approval for to stand up a grant program of 162 million dollars. That'll be the really the first one that we'll do in our new office. Okay. So we expect hope cross our fingers maybe first of the year we'll get approval for that and then we'll stand up that grant program and get that out the door just as soon as we can and uh we got to go here but we got 24 e electric co-ops in the states 20, it 20, i thought 25 20, 24, okay. 25. somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood 17 but. are building out okay and, and of that i think four have totally completed their build out okay awesome yes. so folks are getting uh uh High-speed broadband internet that didn't have it before. That's the main point. Very much so. Yes. Broadband.ms 601-439-2535. Sally Doty, the director of Beam, has been our guest here on Middays. Thanks for coming on, Sally. Thank you. Good Thank to you see you. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Coming back with Representative Vince Mangold. Please stay with us. We're at the Mississippi Trade Mart for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. My daddy spent his life looking up at the sky. He cussed, kicked the dust, saying, son, it's way too dry. The clouds up in the city, the weatherman complained. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Mississippi Trademark, the Element Well Studios, repositioned here today for 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. Rhino, was that Luke Bryan? It was. Huh, I recognized it. <laughs> I didn't know who it was. Luke Bryan. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I do know a couple of artists here and there. Vince Mangold, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives. He represents District 53. That includes Franklin, Jefferson Davis, Lawrence, Lincoln, and Pike counties. He's the vice chair of the House Agriculture Committee. Welcome, Vince. What kind of chopped up district do you have to have all those counties? It's pretty well. It's pretty chopped up and it's pretty rural. Uh, yeah. You know, when I ran the first time, they came down. Well, they they wanted to come down and say, well, you know, we'll help you walk your district. And after I'd kind of rode through it, I said, y'all can walk it if you want to. I said, but I'm riding. I mean, you know, because it was you know miles from driveway to driveway. Yeah. You know, I've got a little bit of downtown Brookhaven, but yeah. you know, not a whole lot. 
Well, that is uh, a lot of agriculture yes, in that sir. area. Yes, sir. That's what I like to do. And uh, you're in that business as well, right? I, I am in that business. I'm, I'm here today representing the farmers of Mississippi and poultry and cattle. We do both of that. Uh, I'm a Farm Bureau member, board member there in Lincoln County. Yeah. So um, this is this is where it's at. Wow. And uh, what about this facility, this event? This is a big deal. It is a big deal, and, and I was fortunate enough uh, that was early in my legislative career, and, and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith invited several of us over that were ag-related mm -hmm. uh, to break ground. I mean, I've got a picture somewhere of us, you know, with the ceremonial shovels in the ground yeah. and, and all this. And so to see it come to fruition is, mm -hmm. is just amazing. It's, it's a beautiful facility. So desperately needed. Yes, yes. So desperately needed. I mean, it, it had gotten to the point, honestly, where you think about, uh, the visitors that come into town uh, that have maybe not ever been to Mississippi and, the, and they're going to events that we would have at the trademark, and it got to the point where you really didn't want them to go to the trademark. No, right? no, so it, it, it looked pretty rough. But you want to showcase this one. It's this awesome. This one's got it. Yeah. This one's got it right here. It well, I mean, a, it's you like to see your, your government money spent wisely, and this was done wisely. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, so... The Farm Bureau Federation, how critical, Vince, has that been to the agriculture industry in our state? Well, it's like, you know, Mike said this morning when he was on with mm -hmm. you, uh, they're the voice of agriculture, you know, and it gave them a seat at the table. And, you know, and I like to say I'm a part of that voice as well as the legislative yeah. voice, you know, because, you know, I, I'm going to see things different than, you know, he talked about folks, you know, never live anywhere where there's not concrete. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of concrete out where I'm at, right, exactly. you know, and so I, I like to say I'm here for, you know, to help with the Farm Bureau voice, but also the farmer voice, and, and Farm Bureau is critical because, you know, we don't have a whole lot of staff, you know, as a legislator. Sure. Uh, you can pick up the phone and call the Farm Bureau folks and say, look, I've got a question on this. Somebody there can get you an answer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so and they're that, critical, and that makes your your job easier too easier. as a legislator, yes. doesn't it? Yes, you, you you seek that input, you want that input, yes. you need that input. All too often, you find out about it after the fact, and then somebody's mad. Hey, they they get <laughs> mad in a heartbeat. I promise you. Um, you know, I I drove through the Mississippi Delta uh, a couple of days ago. We hosted the show up in in Cleveland. Uh, Mississippi. It was a little cool. I heard it you was talking. cold. <laughs> I was cold up there, but. Uh, you know, I just always marvel, Vince, when you you know you don't have to drive too many miles from our position here in central Mississippi up through that delta, and it's just incredible, uh, just just how fertile that ground is. You can yes. tell because you just see just acres and acres of, of row crops and and a few cattle farms here and there. It's just a big dang industry in our state. It's huge. Well, I mean, as as Mike said, you know, and I'll repeat it, you know, ag is number one in Mississippi. And, you know, the poultry part of that is the the number one overall of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, you know, the farmers are doing their share in Mississippi to make, you know, Mississippi a better place. Yeah. And, of course, uh, it's all across Mississippi. You go yes. over into uh, east central part of Mississippi. You're talking about the, uh, the poultry industry. Right. Huge over there. Huge over there. I mean, you know, uh, you know that's the, the insurance people's biggest fear is the tornado lines up on, on part of that world. And, uh, I hadn't and thought you, about that. Yes, yes. They talk about it all the time. But, um, you know, it's just, it is what it is, but uh, poultry is big, big business. So what, what are you hearing from uh, your, your 
peers in the industry, Vince? What are the what are their chief concerns that they're asking you as a member of the legislature, perhaps, to address? And then, of course, our congressional delegations. Well, what are you hearing from? Well, I mean, everybody just wants to be allowed to be a farmer, yeah. to, to do what they feel like God has set them apart to do. And, you know, he talked about conservation. Farmers are the biggest conservationists. They're not going to do anything that's going to harm the land because it affects what they do. It's the most precious asset. Yes. Is that I land? Mean, they, they've got to take care of it so they can hopefully pass it down uh, to the next generation. Yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, just just leave them you know just you know leave the regulations alone you know let them do their business uh and they'll take care of it i mean they don't have to have outside help yeah and uh is there anything you've got planned from an agricultural legislative a legislative perspective coming no, up in the next session i don't, anything I don't have particular? anything uh that that i'm bringing um you know, a lot of times we end up playing defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody will try to come up with something that, you know, on the outside it looks like a good idea, but when you, you know, get Farm Bureau involved and let them, you know, get down into it and check down in the weeds and, you know, it's going to present a problem down the road, so we'll have to, you know, work through that problem, you know, or kill the bill or, or whatever we've got to do. But, sure. you know, we're going to do what we can to protect the farmers and, and, and ranchers of Mississippi, you did, know, best we can. Did you take a tour in there? Did you see I, that big John Deere? I haven't been in there yet, but I see, see that thing. That thing. I heard <laughs> them talking huge. about it. I mean, and, and, you know, there goes to the t technology and, and needing broadband throughout the state. Yeah. You know, that thing is, is, is looking at weeds going through. I mean, they said 11, 12 miles an hour or something like yes. that. And it identifies a weed and sprays it. I With mean, pinpoint accuracy. Yes, sir. Much better than a human yes, can do it. I mean, you know, and I, I've got a spray rig on the back of my side-by-side -side that I spray up next to the chicken houses. Well, you know, I'm going to have overspray. That thing is not. It's, it's incredible. Not, it's not wasting anything. That's what Mike said, like an 80% reduction of, oh. of the chemical use, well, you look which are through the that, roof price-wise. You know, you look at what that's going to save the farmer. Uh, you know, and all these, you know, the, the seeds that they plant that are, are, are you know, Roundup ready and, and all of this. I mean, you know, it, it, it makes a big deal to that farmer. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he'll have to only go through there one time. Yeah. You know, that's saving diesel, saving chemicals, you know, the, you know everything is, is a saving. And so anything you can do to make the farmer's job easier, uh, now it's no telling what that bad boy's going to cost. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing people don't realize, yeah. you know, is what those things cost. But when you sit down and probably do an, a return on investment analysis, I bet you get a pretty quick payback I, when you I think about that. I would imagine, that. you know, when you're talking about reducing your chemical cost by, you know, up to 80%, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Because that's one of your big, you know, uh, you know, costs as far as farming is, you know, as far as the, the row crop guys is the chemicals. Yeah. And uh, which have increased substantially over the last couple of years and fertilizer as well. There's numerous reports about that. I'm sure you've probably seen some of these reports from uh, other areas on the planet. Uh, Netherlands comes to mind where there seems like they want to put the entire agriculture industry out of business uh, in the name of climate change. Uh, and some of that stuff starting to invade in this country as well by some of the climate change ideologues. Does this bother you? It does, you know, because so many people listen to that. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, they need to realize, 
where their food is coming from, where their clothes are exactly. coming from. Drugs. You know, I mean, all medicine. of that is coming back to the farm. Yeah. And and so they need to realize all that. If you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, you know, right now we're having trouble, you know, with farmers, the next generation, not wanting to take up the mantle. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got a daughter that's 30 years old. She has no desire, you know, not married, yeah. you know, no desire to come back to the farm. Yeah. You know, so. How are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Clothes. What are no, we it's, do? A, it's essential. It's exactly right. Uh, but when I, the more I see of this stuff, I, I just, it's, it's like, do you not get it that we can't survive without what <laughs> this exactly industry right. and what these people do? We should be thanking them every day, not, not coming up with ways to make their lives more difficult and produce less. You got to go. You can hang around for another segment. I can hang around. Yes, yeah, let's, ta- let's talk about um, when we come back what we uh, think may be on the boards for the upcoming 2023 session. Where Well, you may know more than I do. No, but, no, but we'll, we'll, talk, we'll about talk about it. it but <laughs> we're a month away. You guys we're are going to be away. down here at the Capitol. Yes, sir. <laughs> Coming right back uh, at the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau. Stay with us. today. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back at the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau, the 100-year celebration, the centennial celebration of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation. Our guest here in the Element Well Studios in the Trademark Corridor, just outside of the doors entering into Trade Hall B, is Representative Vince Mangold. So, Vince, appreciate uh your, your update and, and certainly your insight, sir, on the agriculture industry yes, being a part of it uh, is, uh, is, is very valuable. Appreciate that. But let's turn our attention to the upcoming legislative session. Now, I know you said before we went to break, may not know a whole lot about what's going on, but it's, it, let's start with this. It's, it's an election year. Yes, sir. So is. Uh, how is that different than a normal year? From my experience, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of experience from this, they usually try to do as much low key as they as they can. Yeah. Not a whole lot of heavy lifting. We handle what business we've got to handle, um, but they try not to, you know, to get off in the weeds on anything just really uh, troublesome. But you know, if it shows up, you know, we will handle it. But uh, you know, we'll know. Um, you know, everybody will be on pins and needles that first month, uh, but early February. Uh, we'll know if we have opponents. Uh, you know, we'll know who's running, who's not running. Uh, but that's you, pretty much already has been decided. You know, the ones that have said they're retiring. Uh, you know, and you had some that aren't coming back 
because of redistricting um you know their district changed you know and got combined and moved and absorbed by something else and so you'll have some of those that won't be there but um you know it's it'll be you know pins and needles there for a little while until everybody finds out if they've got an opponent or not yeah so speaker of the house philip gunn yes. announced of course to to the conference that yes he uh, will not seek re-election for his House seat. Yes, sir. Uh, coming next year. Do, do you think that may also signal a change for the speakership for the next uh, year? Well, I mean, um, I, I think he's going to finish out. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is just me talking. Sure. This is Vince Mangold. Well, that's what we're asking. Uh, you know, I, I think he finishes it out. Um, you know, the, the heir apparent, everything, you know, you ask most everybody. Uh, Jason White would mm-hmm. be the front mm-hmm. runner uh, for anything, and 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 you may see uh, Jason at the podium more uh, this next session. Um, you know, just kind of you know getting everybody more familiar, mm-hmm. and everybody knows Jason and likes Jason. Uh, but you know, they may you know he may stand to the podium and do more of the day to day business. Okay. I mean, I, I could see that happening. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think Jason is uh, well positioned. It feels like uh, I think so. to move into that role. Super smart, super yep. likable. Um, you know, I, I appreciate Jason a bunch. You know, and you make a good point there. Uh, certainly, having a, a deep knowledge of policy is is important. It, it is. But uh, uh, let's, let's be honest. Uh, herding the cats in the house is is a tough task, isn't it? Yes, I mean you're talking about 122, you know, different individuals. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I would want it. Uh, not to say I wouldn't, but you know that takes somebody, you know, some serious wrangling. Yeah. You know, doing a throwing a farmer's technique Absolutely. in there. Serious wrangling. Absolutely. And um, and you got to be able to, of course, count the votes. You got to know where uh, where everybody stands on issues, and you've got to take into consideration uh, how they're taking positions and voting certain ways on certain legislation. How that affects them should they be thinking about seeking re-election exactly in the next right. cycle? That's exactly a, that's, right. Got to balance all that out and uh, try to get stuff done. And that's the thing about uh, Speaker Gunn. And his staff, and and Jason included, uh, because he worked with him. If there was something controversial, we pretty much knew if the votes were there before we got to the floor. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and they would protect you. You know, if the votes weren't there, they weren't bringing it out on the floor for okay. a fight. Okay, you know, and so you appreciate that. Yeah, you know, and um, and it lets you keep face with you know folks across the aisle, and 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 I'd like to think that that uh you know I've got friends on the other side. Um, you know, I try to make sure and speak to everybody sure. and, and, you know, because, you know, you don't want to be alienated or, or alienate anybody else. Sure. You know? So, um, you know, you have to do a good job of, of, of handling everybody and, and approaching everybody with, you know, the same as you would Republican or Democrat. Yeah. You know, handle, you know, treat them all the same. I've sat in the gallery a few times and I've just seen you there. Uh, observed. I've seen you there. And, and, you know, I, I would say that overall it, it looks to be uh, fairly amicable. I, I just it don't is. see people on, you know, even when they're on different sides of the aisle or different sides of a bill or an issue. It, I, I don't, I've never seen it elevate uh, to the point of hostility. Right. And that's the thing that, you know, early on, uh, I remember uh, Representative mm-hmm. Steve Holland. Mm-hmm. He would get to the well, and I mean, he would holler and scream and fuss. And, that's and, just his style. And that's just his style. But he was going, 
tell it the way he wanted told <laughs> and and argue the way he wanted it argued, you know, the way he thought it should be done. If he got beat, fine. Yeah. yeah. He see you in the hall, shake hands. Hey, yeah. you want to go grab something to eat? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what it's all that's, about. That's absolutely right. You know, right. that's what it's all about. Yeah, you're, that's, a good, that's a good point. So last year, you know, anytime I've had a member of the legislature on events or uh, the statewide elected folks, I've always sort of described the 22 session as a very active yeah. and eventful session. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll, a lot I'll, happened. I'll agree. Uh, the one thing that was unfinished that just to get your thoughts on was uh, the citizen initiated ballot measure process which essentially the Supreme Court invalidated as it stands right now uh, in our Constitution Uh, and so that's got to get fixed if we want the citizens to have the ability to get a measure on the ballot uh, for broad vote and and so we we couldn't get that done that the Senate and the House couldn't agree on right. I think the, the fundamental sticking point as I recall was the number of votes uh, required right. uh, pardon me signatures required signatures, signatures required uh, to, to to pass the muster with the Secretary of State to get the measure on the ballot do you feel like that's going to come up again in this coming session I'm sure it will um you know, I I know that's one thing you were talking about, Representative Shanks. Yeah. You know, that's going to you know, fall in his committee. Uh, I think we will try to get something done. You know, you know, we were holding holding the line, the amount of signatures that they have previously. Yeah. You know, the same basic program. Right. The only difference was it wasn't going to go to a constitutional amendment. It was going to all be statutory. The measure itself. Right. right. It, yeah. would, it, would, it would go into law. That way, if right. you've got a problem, we can go and fix it. And change it. You know, we, we do it all the time. Because any change in our const- any amendment to our Constitution has to be ratified by the people. Right. You have to line up and do it again. Yeah. Um, you know, at, so a, I, at a statewide, pardon me for interrupting, at a statewide uh, 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 right. election. Exactly. You can't just say, hey, let's let's do this now. You know, it's got to wait till yeah. you have a Next statewide. statewide. Yep. And so I think something's going to get done, you know, if, you know, we can work with the Senate and, and maybe shrink the number, you know, between us and them. Yeah. Um, I would love to see it stay where it was. Uh, you know, yeah. that was easy. I, I would, too, honestly. And, and and the people need that opportunity. If they don't like something we're doing or, or if they don't think we did enough, well, they can go out and do the business and get the signatures and and bring it to a vote like that. I mean, that's, that's part of America. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a good policy. Yeah, so Carolyn Starkville, one of our regular listeners, says, Wishing Governor Reeves and family a Merry Christmas, along with the legislative members and their families. Thank you for caring for Mississippi and Mississippians. Really nice, Carol. Thanks for well, saying thank that. thank you, Carol. In. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and same to you, Carol, as well. But it's hard to believe, Vince, you guys are going to be uh, the third. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. Whatever. All right. The the first is on Sunday. Sunday. Monday, Tuesday. Be the third. Be the third. Yeah. We'll be in quick. That's unbelievable. Yes, sir. That we're, we're on, at that again. So I, I wonder how much uh, sort of political theater we may see because it is an election year. In your experience, do you think that happens sometimes? I don't, I don't know. You know, you're going to find out really quick in the session, <laughs> yeah. you know, who's running for what. Yeah, because it's February 1 this year. Yeah, this time, I mean, you know, because we, we adjusted that. Uh, That's passed, right. Passed legislation to, to shorten that window because, you know, it was. We were going all the way through session wondering. That's right. If we were going to have an opponent. We're going to know we're right in the middle know, of the session. We're going to know really quick. You're going to know who's lining up for statewide offices. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's going to be anything different there. 
Um, you know, it's going to be interesting really quick. Yeah. Really quick. Well, it'll give us plenty to talk about here. Oh, yes. Yes, you won't have any, you won't have any problems getting a uh, subject to talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, so we got that coming up, 23. Now, most important question, you running for re-election? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm going to uh, uh, seek re-election there for District 53. It will be a little bit different. Uh, you listed my counties there yeah. uh, at the beginning. All the counties are the same, but I lost that little piece. I had just a piece of a box of Jeff Davis. Okay. So you got Franklin, Lawrence, Lincoln, and Pike. Is the, that right? The core, the core stayed the same. But I mean, it was just a piece of a box over there, and you know. And I, I told him, I said, I don't know if we're doing them a good job by me just having a piece of a yeah. box, yeah. you know." Ooh, so makes sense. So I picked up a little more in Lawrence, a <clears throat> little yeah. less in Franklin, but everything else pretty much stayed the same. Well, it's a great region for the state of Mississippi, yes. uh, that southwest area of, of uh, our great state, and and Vince, you represent them well as. Uh, as well, and we appreciate you coming on oh, midday, thank you. sir. Thank you for having me. You bet. Jamie Swafford, marketing manager for Ag Up Equipment, is our guest next here on uh, Middays. We are in the Element Well Studios at the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of faith, family, and farm bureau. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios in uh, the beautiful Mississippi trademark for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau. Joining us now is Jamie Swafford, Marketing Manager for Ag Up Equipment. Uh, Jamie, good to have you, and I'll let you introduce our other guest. Yeah, I brought Russell Cawthon with me. He is our Integrated Solutions Manager at Ag Up Equipment. All right, so tell us about Ag Up, exactly what you guys do. Ag Equipment is a John Deere dealership with 16 locations in Arkansas and Mississippi. Did you drive that one in here? No, not allowed anymore. <laughs> that thing's gigantic. Uh, I'm going to bet that Russell may be able to tell us about that piece of equipment in there. Mike yeah. told us about it earlier. Yeah, we can uh, we can talk about it a little bit. So that uh, particular machine you're sitting there looking at is the uh, sea and spray machine uh, that John Deere uh, kind of somewhat released this past year uh, be full, full bore production next year um, there'll be three of those running in Mississippi region next year um, 120 foot boom machine 36 cameras scattered across the boom um, identifying the difference between weed and crop only spraying the weeds yeah that is that is so awesome I actually remember um, reading about the development of this technology like 10, 12 years ago. Correct. Uh, and it just thought it would sort of revolutionize th that task uh, to a, a crop farmer and probably others as well. I happened to see, uh, Russell, a, um, an interview. I talked to Mike about this a couple of days ago on the Business Network with the Chief Information Officer of John Deere, and it was at a, a big event uh, for the ag industry. And, and, and he was sharing the company's vision 
uh, for the future of the company and, and what they're working on, what they've got in development to serve the agriculture industry. It's mind-boggling. It honestly. is. That, you know, I, I, uh, I'll take a, take a quote from uh, one of the John Deere execs from a couple years ago um, was at a meeting and um, his vision at the time for for John Deere is they want to be the apple of agriculture, and uh, you know I thought that was that was a pretty unique way of putting it. They're really an IT company that happens to make farm equipment. Correct is really what what it boils down to. So, uh, Jamie, tell us about Ag Up. You guys are uh, of course a big uh, John Deere uh, dealer. Is that what you how yes, you describe it? That is. So. We are the John Deere dealer here in um, the Jackson Metro area in South Mississippi. Incredible. So we have five or four stores now in Arkansas, Southeast Arkansas. So um, I, I know that besides the sales of the equipment, you guys really uh, promote your fantastic service capabilities as well. Well, right we do you, you you know when you buy this piece of equipment you're not buying just the equipment you're you're also buying the service that we'll provide after the sale so whether it be with people like Russell who are helping manage your data or just actually servicing your actual equipment um, that's as important as, as the actual sale itself and so I, I gotta believe Jamie that um, when you think about the way technology has revolutionized this this industry that uh, farmers maybe uh, not so long ago sort of knew what they wanted before they walked in the store and they just came in and, and, and bought it with some, some counseling and advice. But now with all this new technology, my guess is they're introducing stuff that they didn't even know existed when they come shopping. And you guys have to educate them to a great extent and inform Absolutely. them of what's available uh, that would best serve their needs and their applications. That is, that is true, but also I think people discount how... Uh how intelligent and on top of things farmers oh yeah and i'm not suggesting that no, at all no, but, I mean, but keeping up with all that while you're being a farmer gets to be pretty difficult yeah, they they do rely on us for that but they are also they are there's a lot of them out there that that are in the know and want want that latest and greatest because they understand the the capabilities and and how it's going to save them money and sure well, one of the kind of the visions i have um for for us as a dealership is we want to provide the answers to these farmers yeah. to these questions about questions they don't even know they need to ask exactly yeah. that's that's a great point uh and and many of them are as you say they're sort of becoming technologists as well in they addition are. to being yeah. farmers because they're they're using all this technology to just improve uh, their efficiencies and their their yields and so forth uh, before we go uh how's business everything going well for you right everything now everything is great and we cannot forget our our small ag guys because we have poultry here we have hay here and technology is coming to that as well people See, people don't think about it but it's coming oh i totally uh, understand that I, I think last time you and i talked we were discussing the supply chain issues that were plaguing the industry is that starting to loosen up a little bit we're starting russell can answer a little better we're starting to see a little starting bit. to um we're still feeling the pains of it but we're we're coming out of it yeah, yeah. Is uh, yeah, so we still got issues with getting folks back to work, and uh, of course we got issues ab abroad in China to the extent any components or parts are manufactured over there. So hopefully we get through this because I know the farmers depend quite a bit on what you guys do. I think 2023 is going to be a better year. That's good to hear. Jamie Swafford, Marketing Manager, AgUp, and Russell Cawthon, Integrated Solutions Manager, has been our guest here on Middays. We're stepping aside for Super Talk News, Fox News, coming right back. we got an hour of Middays left. We're at the Mississippi Farm Bureau for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau.
And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Down at the Mississippi uh, Trademark today for 100 years of Faith Family and Farm Bureau. So on the C Spire uh, text line, uh, we got a text from Ben from Madison. says, Gerard, I appreciate you reminding legislators about the ballot initiative process. I think it's important the signature requirement remains the same as the previous process. Hopefully it will be a top priority for the legislature this session. I'm with you, Ben. And, and you know, I, I bring that up because uh, I, I consider it probably the, the highest profile measure that didn't get done. It did, did not get enacted. If you think about all the, the major accomplishments during the session, uh, the teacher pay raise, uh, tax reform, uh, medical marijuana, uh, those are kind of some, some high-profile bills that, that come to mind. All those got done, you know, got enacted into law. But the ballot measure was one that uh, the ballot measure process uh, initiated by citizens is one that went back and forth but uh, never got across the finish line. And so that, I, I feel like it's just unfinished business that needs to be addressed again. And I agree with you in general on the surface, Ben. I, I can't see why we can't uh, continue with the signature requirements as is. I believe it's 12% of the total votes cast in the prior gubernatorial election. I think that's what our law says. 12% is the number that comes to mind. It, it amounted to about 108,000 uh, if we were to do it based on the last uh, governor's election it it would be somewhat more i, I want to say the legislature um, uh, pardon me the senate wanted 20 percent instead of 12 or, so, or something between 12 and 20 perhaps that would have just required harvesting more signatures which cost money and takes more time it's not that it's not doable but it but it is more expensive and so maybe in doing so you're dissuading uh, people, organizations, individuals that might have an interest in getting a measure drafted up and, and going through the hoops of collecting the signatures and meeting the other requirements to get it uh, on the ballot. I'm not really sure what the Senate's rationale was or those in the Senate that wanted to increase the number of signatures required to certify the measure. I, I'd, I'd like to hear the rationale, honestly. Uh, for that, don't don't know that there was ever any discussion of that or any statements made uh, to that uh, to that end. It would be interesting, I think, just to see and hear what their thoughts were on that. Also, Ben says it worries me that Dems can keep going back to reproductive rights messaging. I don't know if the Dem message on abortion will still resonate, but you you have to think they'll continue to pound that message through until it stops working. Yeah, and this is just, uh, Ben is just uh, writing in, in response to uh, some statements we made earlier, uh, some information we shared earlier on the program that show that uh, Gen Z, the Gen Z voting uh, block 
not really vote as a block, but just that demographic is a better way to describe it, uh, came out in very high numbers in the midterm elections, much more than all the pundits expected and, and to a great extent were not included in all the various polls. They just generally don't respond to polls and, and also aren't targeted as much because they don't go out and vote. And uh, But certainly in the, in the, in the post uh, and the exit polling data shows that a whole lot of Gen Z folks did show up to vote, and they voted overwhelmingly Democrats, and they all stated that it was because of uh, their perception that Republicans were very anti-choice and pro-life, but anti-choice from the standpoint to the extent that they want to completely uh, ban abortion uh, in the country, which really is not what overturning Roe v. Wade did. has been discussed countless times, but still the, the Democrats very effectively, I think, point to that as the goal of Republicans. And then, of course, you had Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina in the U.S. Senate, that was proposing a federal legislation codifying a ban on abortion after 15 weeks, <clears throat> which would further restricted relative to what Roe v. Wade, or I should say the Dobbs case did in overturning Roe v. Wade, which simply sent it back to the states. And, and what bothers me about this is that the, the, from a constitutional, from a, a legal uh, perspective, sending it back to the states and overturning Roe, I think, got it right. The Supreme Court got it right. It is a matter for the states, and there really isn't any anything in our Constitution that guarantees the right to an abortion. It just sat there for a long time, and I, I think it's probably safe to say the makeup of the court didn't exist to uh, really bring a case before them that had a chance of overturning that landmark legis legislation from 1973. Of course, our Attorney General Lynn Fitch uh, was the leader on that uh, with the Dobbs case. <laughs> and it, it, it's still kind of interesting, isn't it, folks, that uh, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, who was uh, the head of the Department of Health in the state of Mississippi, I mean, it, his name will forever go down in the history books uh, as being associated with the case because he was the one that was that was sued um, and um, by the Jackson Women's Health Clinic. So that, that essentially is the case that got elevated all the way to the court and ultimately uh, ended up overturning Roe v. Wade. So I still kind of find that fascinating connection to the state of Mississippi and Dr. Dobbs himself personally. But the poll, to your point, though, Ben, polls, nationwide polls, show that most Americans, some 60-plus percent, do support some form of access uh, to abortion, uh, and, and it depends on how the question is worded, but with respect to below, uh, before 15 weeks, the majority of Americans do support access, and then in the case of uh, rape, incest, or any situation that might risk the, the mother's life or health as well. Uh, when you get over the 15-week threshold, the numbers start to change and, and, and it, they start to flip where most people oppose it. But as long as the Democrats, and, and that includes, by the way, lots of Republicans as well that do support some form uh, up to the 15-week um, viability, what is thought to be, at least by many, the viability point uh, during pregnancy, 
So that's still going to be a political hot potato, and I think the Democrats are going to use uh, that messaging very effectively, and I think it will continue to be effective. I think it stands to reason that as the population ages out in the country and, and uh, younger people uh, come of a voting age, that it, the numbers are, tend to be skewed among the younger population in favor of some form of access to uh, abortion so that they may that may actually hurt uh, going forward from a political perspective as you've got more older folks aging out um, off and off the voter rolls and younger folks coming on it that are more pro-choice we'll, we'll see how all that lands but it, it's something to at least just be aware of uh, from a political perspective you mentioned sending it back to the states. As a conservative, this is Jeff in Forest County. As a conservative, getting government out of your business, how about sending it back to the individual? Well, I, I tell you why, Jeff, because, it, it, and this is really the, the core of the debate, the argument. Sending what? Murder? Because the, the, those on the right that uh, are staunchly uh, pro life and want to outlaw all forms of abortion. Uh, it's based on their belief that um, any that abortion and, a, and aborting a baby in the womb, even if it's described by many on the left as a clump of cells, a fetus, that that's where the disagreement is. Uh, they don't they don't see it as taking the life of a human, whereas those who are pro-life do. So that's the crux of the argument. So honestly, your statement's irrelevant. It's not about. The individual, what about the individual child in the womb? And, and that's, that would be uh, how conservatives that are pro-life would, would see that and would, would uh, couch that. So that, that's, that essentially is the argument. And, and um, those that view it as literally as, as homicide versus uh, those who think, oh, no, you're just, you're just essentially removing a, a clump of, of uh, cells that uh, are lifeless, in effect. Gary and Meridian Rhino sent us a uh, a photo of potted meat Twinkies. Tell me that's not actually happening. Potted meat filling inside a Twinkie. Gary, that's got to be a joke, right? Tell me that, that. But I'm looking at the box with a photo of a Twinkie and a can of Libby's potted meat sitting right next to it, and it certainly appears there's potted meat in the Twinkie. All right, Gary, tell us about that. We're going to come back uh, here in the Element Well Studios down at the Mississippi Trademark. We're here for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. 
100 Years of Faith Family and Farm Bureau down here at the Mississippi Trademark. What a celebration they have planned, the Farm Bureau Federation, uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, I'm looking at the little brochure, the booklet, and it is just jam a jam-packed agenda. Uh, gets underway this afternoon here later on, and then for both Saturday and Sunday, things get cranked up at 7 a.m. On Sunday at 7 a.m., a worship service at the Sheraton Refuge, the Grand Ballroom. So they're um, occupying a number of different venues around the area to celebrate this 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. So it looks like the Senate, the U.S. Senate, has uh, succeeded in uh, passing legislation that will, in fact, avert a big old strike, a rail strike, which was a huge concern. And, of course, the, it's, it's uh, still kind of mind-boggling, but you, the night, there's a 1926, I think it's called the Rail Act, that uh, authorizes, empowers the U.S. Congress, the government, along with the president, to intervene in, in the, the railroad industry in situations where there may be a labor dispute that would uh, a strike where a strike could shut down the railroads and and cause great harm to the US economy in that situation they can't intervene they did and so what they're essentially doing is negotiating a contract on behalf uh, you could say of the of the union and the railroads and putting that in place that the parties would abide by, get back to work. And uh, one of the sticking points was sick leave. Now, we talked about this the other day, and I'll, I'll have to say that I did a, a bit of research uh, on this rhino after we discussed it and found out that presently the, uh, the rail unions, there are 12 of them, their present employment contract, 12 different unions, only includes one day of sick leave. Now, I do think that that is a bit out of touch and not aligned with uh, the present market conditions for uh, employees and for, for benefits for employees uh, offered by their employer. I was a little shocked to learn only one. So it is true that the rail workers were having to use their vacation days anytime they had a legitimate reason to be away from work uh, due to illness. And so what they were wanted was seven days. And even the union bosses read a couple of reports about this that were negotiating uh, union bosses with the, the actual employers, the railroad companies themselves. Even they were more focused on pay, an increase in pay, and weren't really addressing the sick leave issue, which I found to be rather astonishing. And even in that scenario, eight of the unions were willing to accept that agreement in September. Four were not. But it turns out that those four that were unwilling to accept that agreement comprised the vast majority of the workers. The eight unions that were on board with it don't represent as many workers as the four uh, who were opposed to it, which I thought was rather interesting. So th there's still some question as to whether or not 
in a separate agreement, separate from the overall employment agreement and the compensation aspect of it, that the Congress will be able to step in with a separate bill that would provide for the seven days they're asking for. There seems to be broad support for that, but it's, uh, it, it, it's getting a little uh, contentious and not really quite sure where all that is going to land at this point. But uh, I did want to say that uh, I wasn't aware the other day when I was talking about this that they, they do not presently have uh, more than one day of sick leave. I, I learned that since our discussion of this on the program. And so I do find that to be unreasonable. Unreasonable. I, I do believe that uh, they, they need to have um, more time than that, seven days certainly sounds reasonable, but it, then it depends on how many vacation days they get. I think you have to look at all of that, that sort of time off, paid time off situation as, as uh, what's reasonable in that respect. And, of course, it's what the market will bear. I'm really surprised that the workers continue to stay on with these railroad uh, companies only having one day of sick leave. I, I'm just a little surprised that that hasn't come up before. It's because they However, have 30 days of vacation. Well, that, and that was the question. So that's what they, okay. Thank you for that because that that does change the equation a bit, right? If you get 30 days of vacation, well, that that's probably a little higher than the average. I haven't done the research on that, but I think most people I'd be curious to know that are tuned in, that are employed. Uh, how many days does your employer give a vacation? So what we did at my company, for what it's worth, and I think a lot of companies have moved in this direction, you just got a bucket of paid time off, and you use it however you want, vacation, sick, bereavement, et cetera. You know, you have this all the time, uh, Rhino. Uh, schools uh, got to go to a school function for my kids. Of course, sure, you should be off for that, need to be off for that. Do you need off all day, though? Probably not. And so that, that's where I start to question uh, some of those motivations and, and, and some of what, I guess, the, uh, the employees are looking for. But, yeah, there's got to be some reasonableness test there, uh, certainly for sure. But you, you're enlightening me now, Rhino. I didn't look it up. But that, it does kind of make you wonder, okay, so you're going to get 30 days of vacation plus seven days of sick leave plus a 24% increase in pay that, as we discussed the other day, is retroactive for uh, for two years. I get three weeks vacation and no sick leave, says Keith and Vaden. Okay, there you go. Appreciate that, Keith. If they were getting two weeks of vacation and then layer on top of that seven days of sick, that would equate to your three uh, weeks, Keith. I would say, yeah, that's that's reasonable. Uh, four weeks plus one personal on the ceasefire tax line. One week personal, so that's a total of five weeks. That that sounds a little high, but there's a question I would have for the person who sent us that, uh, Rhino. Is is that for everybody that works in your country uh, company? Pardon me, or do you have to be employed for a certain uh, number of years to qualify? Because this is the way we did it in our company. We we escalated the the number the uh, days of PTO based on your tenure, based on your time with the company. It was an incentive for you to stay uh, with the company. Uh, but look, it's private. Um, concern, in my view, between the employer and the employee, and given the situation we have now with an incredibly tight labor market, we reported yesterday 1.7 jobs available for every worker out there who's unemployed. That's upside down. We did get unemployment numbers 
today, by the way, and they actually came in a little hotter than expected. In, in economic parlance, hotter means that the expectation for the number of jobs in this case uh, created was lower than the actual number, and that sent the markets into a negative territory because that usually signals to the Fed, hey, we're still trying to fight this inflation, and as long as all these people are working and earning money, they got money to spend, and that props up inflation, and therefore we're going to have to be more aggressive with the interest rates. That's kind of the cause and effect uh, process there, scenario there, and that tells the markets, hey, we're going to keep seeing these higher uh, these interest rate increases, and they don't like that. So uh, that that's still... A little surprising. I just think we have so many people that during the pandemic, with all the helicopter money, uh, chose to retire, sold their assets, house prices through the roof, etc. Went to the sidelines. They're not in the workforce. This is hurting uh, from an um, tightness of the employment, uh, the labor market situation, and that is contributing, of course, to inflation quite a bit. Uh, no vacation. Everybody get back to work on the ceasefire tax slide. Ed from New Hope says DOD employees get 156 hours vacation per year and 104 sick hours at uh, Department of Defense. Ed, is that who you're talking about? 156 hours of vacation? Wow. That's just shy of 20 days. Right. Um, well, it, de- it depends on Rhino, right? Um, if you're doing yeah, full eight, eight hours. Eight days. hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay. Well, that's, um, let's call it a month. Just a little shy of a month. And then 104 six, uh, sick hours. It sounds like a lot. That That's, what, two weeks and a half a day. That seems a little high there. But, again, uh, it's a bit relative, I guess, and subjective. For sure, Chad from McGee says, I get four weeks of vacation each year, but it took 20 years to get it. There you go, two personal days also on working on the railroad. Okay, appreciate that, uh, Chad. Luke and Flowood, two weeks until your fifth-year anniversary, and then three weeks after 10 years goes to four weeks. So I, I think, Rhino, that's a pretty, common, uh, a pretty common structure where your number of vacation, your PTO days, increases with time work for the company. Taking a break right here. When we come back, Andy Berry, the president of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are at the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau, the centennial celebration of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation. Joining us now is Mr. Andy Berry, the president of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association. Andy, good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Good to see you as well. I was just looking through this booklet here. It is a jam-packed schedule uh, they've got lined up for the weekend. Yes, sir. It's a big event. Uh, lots of things happening to you know, anybody in agriculture or uh, you know, private property 
ownership. This is the place to be this weekend uh, to come and see what we've got. Trade booth. We've got a lot of educational events. Uh, you know, livestock shows going on. It's just something for everybody for you know rural and, and agricultural parts of Mississippi. Yeah. All right. So tell us about your association, your members, how they faring with um, all the headwinds they've had to face the you last know, couple of years. Uh, it's it's been tough, and, and particularly this this fall. Uh, my cattle producers have had kind of a tough fall. We had a drought coming out of the summer. Yeah. Uh, forages were kind of tight, and then we had such an early frost in October okay. that we started having to feed hay and feed a lot sooner than we normally would have, and so it's uh, it's been a struggle so far this year. Yeah. Uh, what about the upcoming legislative session we've got uh, on on the way? So it's hard to believe it's a month and a day or so away. What, it's what, quick. I know it does. Anything in particular that you're going to be talking to the legislature about that your members need? You know, there's a couple of tax issues that we'd like to talk about. Maybe, maybe some get some exemptions on some agricultural input products that we use. Uh, you know, mainly we want to protect the tax exemptions that we do enjoy. Uh, when this conversation of uh, the income tax reduction uh, continues on up there this year, uh, we want to make sure we protect those exemptions that we have. And uh, you know, we always like to pay less taxes. I think that's something that, that sure. all of us in, in the country like to do. And so, you know, there's a couple of things like that. And the time might not be right for particular session for that. But uh, you know, we want to stay on. On that, uh, you know, one thing that's important to us is, is to make sure that our extension service, Mississippi State Extension Service, is, is properly funded. You know, our friends at the Ag Department uh, that, that they get the, the, the monies they need. You know, one of the things that they do that, that really benefits us is the Ag Theft Bureau. Yeah, uh, they're kind of the unsung heroes out there of, of agriculture in Mississippi of, of making sure that that you know property is stolen, it gets recovered. Uh, you know, they're out there just primarily focused on that agriculture. Uh, yeah. Uh, theft. What about at the federal level? Anything in particular there? Well, you're... you know, farm bill time is coming up, and so that's something that we're keeping an eye on there. Uh, there's a couple issues there. Uh, you know, some conservation programs that are out there. Uh, you know, we do a great job uh, as cattle producers of, of being conservationists, and so we want to make sure that uh, you know, there's there's some programs out there called uh, Conservation Stewardship Program, the Environmental Quality Improvement Program. Uh, make sure those are funded well, uh, and and uh, you know that we can be able to enjoy those programs. Uh, there's some risk protection program out there that's really of interest to us. Uh, it's called Livestock Risk Protection. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the row crop guys, they've got kind of some safety net programs and, and things that kind of help uh, protect them in some volatile markets. We don't have that in, in the livestock industry. And we've seen some, some really, really big black swan events in the livestock markets of the last few years. Hmm. And so we're trying to look to make some improvements to this livestock protection program uh, that's kind of an insurance on, on future prices and uh, to make that fit kind of our model here in the southeast a little better to, to not get too technical in the weeds yeah. with that but uh you know risk protection and conservation are two of the big issues that we're looking for in the farm bill coming up what about uh some of the inflationary pressures and just the overall economic obstacles and challenges that the industry's had to deal with how's that looking oh, these it's, days it's uh, <laughs> it's just as hard you know it's uh you know some feed that i'm buying i was buying a month ago for like 16 cents a pound it's up to 22 cents a pound now the, the, the last i picked Gee, up really? uh, last week and you know that's just in the last two months and so you're seeing that across the board on all of our inputs and you know i think we've talked about this before as, as cattle producers uh you know when our when our livestock get ready it, they need to be sold you've yeah. got you've got maybe a week or so there but but depending on the markets we can't we can't let them grow like a tree or we can't put them in a in a silo like corn or beans or something like that uh, we've got to sell them so we're you know we're more adverse of risk 
uh, these volatile markets. And so it's, it's really a concern for us when we see all these inputs go up. Yeah. Uh, now what about the industry overall, Andy, in the country? How's it doing? It's uh, it's it's okay. You know, we've had a had a drought across our country. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, due to some some herd sell off, uh, you know, the, their cow numbers overall in the United States, the herd's going to be be lower going into next year. That may mean for some higher calf prices for us coming into into 2023. We thought that was going to happen in 22. It didn't quite get there, but uh, as as much uh, cows uh, herd reduction that we've had. It's going to be hard not to see where we're not going to have some better prices for our calves next year. Hmm. Interesting. Well, what about the global market? You know, demand is strong, and, and that's surprising, you know, seeing the challenges that we had, particularly coming out of the, the pandemic. But beef demand continues to, to grow and outpace, hmm. and, uh, you know, that's that's a testament to the product that we produce. We produce a, a, what I think is, is the best protein out there is, is beef. Uh, and so, you know, we see demand for it all across the globe. Yeah. Any concerns about just the push uh, from from some, uh, in, uh, not only in the country but ac across the world, to just uh, honestly just eliminate beef totally from human consumption? You know that's always a concern, and and that's something that we try to make sure that we have a seat at the table with those those type of places that that uh, are having those conversations. Uh, you know, sometimes that that our industry gets a little ridiculed for that for being there, but you need to have a seat at the table. Yeah. To make sure that you're representing your point of view and and the, and the pods that you do. You know, we what's great about about cattle and beef is you know cattle take a protein uh, a grass that that is otherwise unpalatable mm. for anything else. Mm -hmm. And they take that and they turn that into such a high-quality protein, which is beef, as mm. a finished product, that, that through the rumination process that no other animal out there is doing. And so, you know, we're really sustainable in, in what we do and how our, how our cattle thrive and live and just, just their being. You know, this is a sustainable model. And, and so you take across our country, there's so much land out there that's not suitable for row crops. And so what it is suitable for is grazing. And so that's the best use of that land is to be out there and to be grazed and, and to make the most benefit of that. Hmm, that's, a, that's a great point. And honestly, I don't know that I've ever heard it described that way uh, in the past, Andy. And certainly those that, that uh, uh, seek to just end the industry, they don't seem to be thinking about that either. No, it's not. It, it, and you can go further a step and, and look out west and all the fires that we've had. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the solutions to that is grazing, is to cut down on that underbrush, yeah. and and to reduce the fuel load that that they have in those in those western states, and that's something that that we've been prevented through through several uh, administrations of, of having full access to a lot of that BLM and Forest Service land that's grazing. That's a huge huge industry out west is, yeah. is grazing those government lands. We've talked with guests earlier today that that have concerns about uh, whether or not we're producing new generations of farmers. And, and, ju and just passing down, uh, m most of which comes from families that have been in it for a very long time, and they pass that down, and, and now they're finding that uh, their offspring really don't have an interest in continuing that. Is that a concern for it's, you? It's a big concern for us, and it's an and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a actual fact that, that there's a problem there. Uh, here in a minute, we're going to have a speaker come up and, and talk about you know succession planning to the next generation. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to make it rewarding financially. Sure. For the next generation to stay involved in that. And, and that's something that, that I try to communicate to all politicians at all level. In Mississippi, when you have a healthy agricultural industry, particularly a cow-calf, cow type of industry, we're not pocketing and, and growing our wealth. What we're doing is we're growing our assets. 
You know, when we, yeah. when we sell our livestock, we, we turn that money over. We, we buy more feed. We buy more fence. We sure. buy a tractor. We buy a gate. We buy a truck. That money gets turned over in the community. You know, you can look at the Delta at the, you know, you've seen the growth in, in large farms and, and the death of small towns. And yeah. so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen in our cow-calf part of the state, that we can keep our cow-calf and, and cattle people healthy to keep these rural communities and keep the economic growth alive in rural Mississippi. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so where does the cattle industry, where, where does it rank uh, with, within the, uh, the overall agriculture industry in the state? In Mississippi, I think we're, we're 12th or 15th in there. We're, we're kind of down the line yeah. in, in total uh, value of production there. There's, there's some big uh, commodities out there in front of us, but we're, we're respectable. I think around a billion dollars of, yeah. of, of sales that we do a year. Is so it staying fairly level? You see growth? Or pretty decline? level. It's, it's, you know, we've had some sellouts through the last year. It's been challenging with the inputs that you talked about earlier. Uh, we've had some sellouts of folks getting older and then yeah. selling out, uh, but you also see some younger folks that are growing and getting kind of a, you know, like I talk about, getting larger uh, in terms of their herd and not having those small herds and, and more people involved in it. So it's just a concern for us. Yeah. And uh, I guess we just have new generations coming up that are looking for a different lifestyle. But uh, still, you can live in, in the areas of Mississippi where they could be cattle farmers and still have a pretty dang good lifestyle. You can. And, you know, I, I do it as a second job. You know, I have a job here in town, and then I yeah. go home every night, and, and by the light of, of the tractor, my flashlight, <laughs> I, I farm. And there's a lot of folks like me out there that do that yeah. as a supplemental income. But, you know, we do see, and, and, and particularly, you know, across the state, I see a lot of young folks that are getting into it you know they're it's the asset and 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 the, the you know the, the um the money that it takes to get involved in it. You've got to have yeah. land, you got to have tractors, yeah, so you've got, you got to have some help to, to, to get started in, into this business. Well, it sounds like, though, we're going to have to probably put our heads together and address this issue, because we all rely on it. I agree. You know, that, that, again, it, it, to me, uh, I think one of the things just worth repeating is, you know, when we have a healthy livestock and agriculture industry, we've got a healthy yeah. economic Mississippi. Absolutely makes sense. Andy, thanks for coming yes, on. Sir. Good to Appreciate see you. Appreciate you having me. Andy Berry, president of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association, has been our guest with the Mississippi Trademark for 100 years of Faith Family and Farm Bureau coming right back with a final segment on Midday. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Kevin Cronin on the vocals there, Gary Richcraft on the electric guitar, REO Speedwagon. I'm still mad, Rhino, because they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What can we do about that? Who do I express my grievance to? <laughs> the Hall of Fame selectors, I guess. they got to be in the Hall of Fame. It's just crazy. Uh, wanted to pass on, folks, that Thomas and Greenwood, Paid me a visit this morning, Rhino. Came by the trademark. Is in town uh, for some uh, family things he's taking care of, and really appreciate him coming by and showing his face and shaking my hand. I know we like to spar and have fun uh, on the text line here, but it was good of him to take his time 
to come down the trademark, come to the building, and come find us here at the Element Well Studios and uh, say hello. Appreciate that, Tom. It's good to see you, man, and hope you have uh, a good time here in the central Mississippi area. Uh, also, uh, so I, you probably saw the same thing I did, Rhino, that, that the rail workers receive uh, three weeks of paid vacation and up to 14 days of personal leave. Is that sort of where you got the 30 days of vacation uh, figure that you shared with us? Uh, which does, I think, change the complexion of the argument for seven paid sick days. W would you agree with that? I mean, it's oh, yeah. and if you're almost in, two months. If you've got any seniority whatsoever, you can bump those days that you're paid to be off up to over 40. Yeah, it's crazy. It, does it not seem like in this country that any time we're discussing uh, work, that we spend more time discussing benefits than we do work? Like, when the heck do we ever work? And because everything's focused on work and how to avoid work as opposed to producing and working. And I'm generalizing a little bit. I realize that. But it does seem like, to a great extent, driven, I think, by this, uh, this just panoply of, of programs that are producing this helicopter money from the federal government that the virtue and value of work has been diminished. It just feels like it. That uh, Remember Nancy Pelosi a few years ago talking about uh, how unemployment benefits were really beneficial to Americans because it allowed them to go pursue their dreams like being an artist or something like that. Uh, it, it just feels like there's this constant narrative where work is being diminished. And uh, that's, that's scary. Joe Meridian says, where I work, have a zero tolerance for sick call-in unless you uh, have or can get FMLA, family medical leave. Vacation and personal days have to be scheduled two weeks unless you get your co-workers to cover. I, I mean, I, I hear you, Joe, and I, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of your employer, but situations are different. And just keep in mind that when you're not there producing, it's costing the company money, which essentially costs everybody money. So there's, there's got to be a balance struck. It's, it's, it's an economic problem to deal with. You've you got to give folks time off. They can't work every single day um, of the workday calendar. Uh, they've got to have some time off for vacation. And there's value in that, of course, when people get to get away from their workplace and relax and and uh, kind of refresh and re-energize. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think that's all valid. But still, though, it just feels like we, we've got this kind of movement in this country where, you know, the great resignation and all that kind of crap. So I read a report this morning just thinking about it where now employees are using fake offers from uh, other employers to negotiate higher pay with their existing employer. N not surprised, but that's becoming a trend. You know how that junk works, Rhino. It starts spreading around social media and TikTok, and the next thing you know, everybody else is doing it. Um, it, it. It develops into a trend. It starts to take root, take hold. It certainly feels like that uh, to me. But um, 
Yeah, friend uh, Sharon and Brandon says the value of work has been diminished because we we have now become focused on making sure your mental health, in quotes, is being taken care of. That's an excellent uh, point uh, there, uh, Sharon. Honestly, we're we're it's the same thing about two tied up in knots like a pretzel about words, you know. And uh, what did we report a couple of weeks ago, Rhino, in King County, where Seattle was located, in uh, in Washington State that you can't have Christmas decorations around your workplace because it might offend other people. And it's just junk like that. And it just makes me think, when the heck do we ever concern ourselves with actually working and producing value for society? Wow. Uh, did I hear you correctly that the well, rail workers get six weeks vacation now with one sick day? That's uh, from Donald in Oxford. That is our understanding, and Rhino evidently researched the same sources I did, which all seem to be the official credible sources. That is the case. So now they're going to get arguably seven more days. That's what they're lobbying for, at least seven more sick days. I mean, it's two months off before it's all over with. No, I'm not on board with that. That seems unreasonable. We have enjoyed our time here today for 100 years of Faith, Family, and Farm Bureau, the centennial celebration for Mississippi Farm Bureau. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.